Hello, and thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church of Derrida, Louisiana, recorded at our 10 o'clock service on Sunday, November 18th, 2018. Reading from Joshua, chapter 24, verses 1 through 24. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your ancestors, Terah and his sons Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates and served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in its midst. And afterwards, I brought you out. When I brought your ancestors out of Egypt, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your ancestors with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. When they cried out to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them, and your eyes saw what I did to Egypt." Afterwards, you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites, who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you, and I handed them over to you, and you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then King Balak, son of Zippor of Moab, set out to fight against Israel. He sent and invited Balaam, son of Baor, to curse you, but I would not listen to Balaam. Therefore, he blessed you, so I rescued you out of his hand. When you went over the Jordan, you came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you, and also the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites and Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I handed them over to you. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove out before you the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow, I gave you the land on which you had not labored and towns that you had not built, and you live in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive yards that you did not plant. Now therefore revere the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your ancestors served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Now if you are unwilling to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our ancestors up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight. He protected us along all the way that we went, and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods. Then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. 
And the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourself that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. The people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve and him we will obey. I notice the day has been coming for quite a long time. After all, I'm the one that put together the calendar. And yet, this Sunday, the last in our, the worship portion of our a Disciples Path season, is one that is always, I don't want to say the word anxious, but it's one of those that, I should say, makes me take pause. And it makes me take pause because I think too often we try to overcomplicate things. Sometimes we try in our earnest to be and to do everything for everyone, we miss the simple message of being part of Christ's holy church. We allow ourselves to get wrapped up in so many different areas and so many different emotions and so many different controversies and so much of the yee and the na-na and all that. Those are deeply biblical terms, yee and yana, but you know what I mean. And we forget how simple yet sublime it is to be called by God to be one of God's chosen people. We forget how simple and yet sublime it is to be part of the household of God. We forget how simple yet sublime it is to be connected to one another. And we try to make our churches like a fast food restaurant. We want number one, number three, number four. Number, we want our perfect combo prepackaged for us. And we don't want it to cost too much and we want it in a hurry. And yet, the Scripture shows us that our call is simply to be the people of God. Our call is to be a disciple. As we've explored over the last few weeks, through the lens of being a disciple in the United Methodist tradition, that a congregation has to be built on the foundation of prayer, both individually and as a community. If we are not undergirding the ministries of our congregation with prayer, then we've already might as well just crumple up the aluminum foil and go home. We've learned that a disciple is present in the life of the church. There is zero, and I mean zero, biblical evidence for faithful discipleship outside worshiping with the community of faith. There is none. Search it backwards and forwards. There are seasons of life where that is what carries us. We've seen the disciple gives. And a disciple gives not to a budget. A disciple gives not to have control. A disciple gives not to have shot, call shots. But a disciple gives because God has first given to us.
and we do God's work keeping in the biblical standard of the tithe. We've seen that being a disciple means being in service. And I think you'll be surprised this week when you get your mailing that the Mary Mellors are putting together. And you will see that there are over 60 individual ministry opportunities of which you can fulfill the vow of service. And we didn't put them all on the list because we ran out of room. You'll see that we have seen that a disciple bears witness because if we are not sharing God's story of love and redemption, God's story of creation and salvation, then we have missed entirely what the scriptures are about. And this week is a little lanyard because this is a chapter not in the book, not in the program. But this is one where we're looking at a disciple commits to Christ and his church. And this is one that usually provides a little anxiety, a little, oh, no. And yet, we shouldn't be trying to run away from commitment. We should be running toward it because, after all, the cross of Christ shows us God's commitment to us. We're not called to be on the cross, but we are called to commit to the work of the kingdom of God. And then this story that Joshua, from the prophet of uh, Joshua, we see that what we try to make as overcomplicated is very simple. It's a very simple choice. I screwed up this morning when I did not add my mother to the prayer list because my Uncle Richard is coming Tuesday. And she is going to have my father and my uncle in her house for a week. Mother, you can come hang out with Anna and Joseph anytime you want. But the beautiful thing about getting together with family is you're going to tell the same stories. Mom and Dad celebrated 51 years of marriage yesterday. They've been telling these stories with Richard. They've been making, I don't know about y'all's family, but I'm convinced sometimes my family makes up stories. Any of y'all ever have that experience? And I think it's because we don't want to admit that people we share a gene pool with can actually have done some of that stuff. Any of y'all ever have that problem? Or is it just me? I like that. A little nervous laughter. Ooh, did he tap into our cell phones or what? But no. What we're doing is we're telling the stories. These are the stories that Anna and Joseph are going to grow up with. These are the stories that Aaron now knows well after having been officially a part of the family 17 years, but been around longer than that. What we do as a church is we tell the story. And Joshua, as part of his prophetic word, reminds us that a disciple's commitment is a response to all God has done. A disciple's commitment is a response to all that God has done. When I was planning this message, I debated whether or not to compact this first 24 verses of Joshua because it could get long. But I like to hear Aaron talk, all right? So, but no, seriously, what is Joshua doing? He's gathering them all together, all the people, all of God's people. And he gathered together all the big wigs, the self-styled big wigs, 
all the commoners. He gathered everybody together. And he starts with, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. And then he starts a list. Do you remember when you were a kid? Or maybe even now? The story starts and your eyes glaze over. When somebody is telling you a, something you know or they're taking a while, uh, I pick on my friend Roger Sterling here a little bit. I have a phrase with Roger. Roger, I hope you don't mind me using this. But I say to Roger, I say, Roger, I don't want the labor pains. I just want the baby. All right, Roger and I have a good time with that, especially Camille can testify to that. But, you know, it's like Joshua. I want to say, Joshua, I know you're getting through all this, but just get to the point, bud. Just get to the point. But it's important that the story be told. Because Joshua is issuing a siren call to remember what all God has done. And each of those vows of membership that we take to support the ministries of our congregation with our prayers, presence, gifts, service, and witness go straight back to us telling each other the stories. And while Joshua was telling them the stories of deliverances from various things, we tell the story of the cross. We tell the story of how through Christ's life, death, and resurrection, we have been delivered from a life of slavery to sin and death and been made anew with the water of Christ. A disciple's commitment is a response to all that God has done. And when we commit to fulfilling our vows, and when we actually fulfill our vows, it is in response to what all God has done, is doing, and will do in our lives. And Joshua goes through that whole list, and I don't know about y'all, but every now and then I'd be at one of those family events, and finally the conversation would change, and you'd wake up, I mean, you would finally snap to attention, and Joshua kind of does a hard stop and says, now therefore, now therefore, serve the Lord, and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your ancestors served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Now, if you are unwilling to serve the Lord, Joshua's putting it on the line. And remember that the Bible is a conversation in which we are eavesdropping with, on the conversation of God's people for centuries. We're eavesdropping here. And we're hearing a very distinct call. He's saying, now, are y'all going to go and serve this God or this God? A disciple's commitment is a statement about whom and what they will serve. A disciple's commitment is a statement about whom and what they serve. Because he says, after now, if you are unwilling to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. What do our commitments and what does the execution of our commitments say about whom we are serving? 
What do our commitments and execution thereof say? Are we people who are in prayer for our church and its leadership and the church universal? Are we people who are present in the life of the church, both in worship and prayer and service and study and in fellowship? Or are we present or are we not present because it's not important to us? Do, does our giving reflect a life of service to God or does it reflect a self-centeredness? Does our giving show that we give to God what is left over or we give to God out of what we first have? Does our giving show that we serve our pocketbook and our ends or do we serve God? A disciple's commitment is a statement about whom and what they will serve. What are we doing with our time? Do we have our ministry coordinators and our ministry staff have to beg, borrow, and steal you to execute the ministries of the church? Or are we falling over each other trying to figure out how we can do more to be in service to Christ and His church? And the stories we tell what the life we live, those are the things that help us understand a disciple's commitment is a statement about whom and what they will serve. But the third thing is, and we see this in Joshua, a disciple's commitment is simple. This ain't hard, y'all. Choose this day whom you will serve. And Joshua says, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. As for me, in my household, we will serve the Lord. Now, this week you're going to get a nice little letter that's going to have on it the ability, it's going to have on it how we will commit to the ministries of our church. And it starts with our spiritual growth opportunities. And it goes to our gifts-based service. It talks about our financial commitment. It talks about, and it gives us a chance not just to check off some boxes, but it's written in such a way that we get to prayerfully consider not only the ministries of the church in which we are being called to be involved, but it also calls us to know about the other ministries of the church. And while there's a lot there, the decision is simple. What's on the card is irrelevant compared to what's in your heart because what's in your heart is what's going to be reflected on the card. The smallest portion of that card has to do with financial giving, so don't walk out of here thinking it's about finances. If you do, then I know you didn't listen because a commitment is simple. A commitment of a disciple is about what's in your heart. That's why Joshua was able to boldly say, but as for me and my household we will serve the Lord. Number four, a disciple's commitment is a proclamation of their faith. And then the people answered, you got to love in the Old Testament. If you haven't spent a lot of time in the prophets, both the, especially the minor prophets, but all the prophetic writings of the Old Testament, go hang out in there. It's better than anything Hollywood's putting out. you got everything you want in there. I promise. And therefore, they recount what God did. Then they say, therefore, we also 
will serve the Lord, for He is our God. But Joshua comes back with, you ever have those discussions at Thanksgiving or other times for an extended family? You tell a story, then there's a counterpoint, then there's another counterpoint. Any of y'all ever have those families or just me? Come on now. Those of y'all that ain't laughing or bowing your heads, wake up, okay? Because we all got those relatives. You ever have those relatives that just love to argue? All right? You know, Joshua's people are coming back and saying, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve our other gods. Then they go through it and then they say, Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for He is our God. And Joshua says, You cannot, uh-oh, when the prophets say cannot, watch out, church, because I have a feeling if we're honest with ourselves, something's fixing to have to change in our lives, not just in the life of those people. But Joshua said to people, you cannot serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve other foreign gods, then He will turn into you harm and consume you after having done you good. Well, preacher, I thought Jesus forgave us of our sin. Yes. But as Paul says, we were not given grace so that sin may abound more. So don't buy into that lie. And the people said to Joshua, No! We will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against ooh, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. That goes straight back to when we joined the congregation. If we fail to uphold our commitments, it's not about a statement about anything else than us. Because we are witnesses to our own commitments. And if our word means anything, then we are to be committed. And the people said to Joshua, No, we will serve the Lord. Then he said, Then put away the four gods that are among you, and incline your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. The people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve, and Him we will obey. A disciple's commitment is a proclamation of their faith. That's why this whole season of exploring a disciple's path is important. Because we must never forget that we don't take the vows of membership just because. And we don't take the vows of membership to a specific pastor. We do not take our vows of membership to a specific season in life. Like, well, we got kids now. We don't take our vows of membership for our own interest. Conversely, those vows of membership don't say we just will do these things when it is about what we want. But we take these vows of membership because we know that at the end of the day, we are disciples of Jesus Christ. We are disciples of Jesus Christ, and with that call and with that commitment, which as Joshua noted, he called them out and said, you are witnesses to yourself. We know that that is where we have to put ourselves on the line. You are going to hear so much about being disciples. This is not going to be the end of it. Because the church is at its strongest when it's people not only commit to but live out being disciples of Christ. And it's not something that we can say, well, we know that. Something we must be reminded of. This past week I spent some time with 
my coach in Nashville, my personal coach and his team. And I've been, go through his, one of these exercises every year. It's third year I've been through it, and each time I learn something different. We go through being a disciple of Jesus Christ once a year minimum because we're always at a different point in life, and we're always seeing God in different ways. And when we examine being disciples of Jesus Christ and we commit to that ministry, there's no limit to what we can do as a church because it's no longer about us and our pettiness, but it's about Jesus Christ and his righteousness. Therefore, I can say to you, a disciple commits to Christ and his church. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in DeRitter, Louisiana. You can find out more about us at fumcderitter.org. Thank you and have a great day.